Good morning, good morning, good morning. David, how are you? It is Office Hours Early Morning Edition on Fridays, as always. And we're missing Mike Momola, but we have Marine Plowman, so we have another M in here. We're okay. What do you think? I think we're just fine. <laughs> well, C is the VP of Marketing for one of my favorite companies, Alignable. Alignable.com. Uh, I am a member and have been for a while. Uh, moreover, Alignable works with small business entrepreneurs, the fastest growing segment of business in America, especially because of COVID, COVID and the pandemic. Uh, Marina, I'm going to start off with one of the issues that I always see with small businesses, and it's apathy. Uh, and apathy is directly related to they're afraid to ask. Uh, more than, you know, it seems like the reverse or the counterintuitive exists that the big companies seem to ask for more and more and more from our government, ask for more and more and more from people, their consumers, their employees, and yet the people who need it most don't ask. And then we have platforms like yours that give an opportunity to ask, uh, ask and to utilize the strengths that exist and to fulfill the needs of a small business owner or an entrepreneur. Uh, you have a new uh, campaign called Hashtag One Main Street uh, that hopefully motivates and inspires small businesses to ask and connect from each other. Why do you think it is that small businesses, the people who need it most, are afraid to ask? So you know, I'm not sure how much they're afraid to ask, or as, or if it's just that they don't always get the recognition and support that they deserve. I think that you know, larger companies just have it easier. They have the technology available to them. They have loans and things more availability to them. Um, to me, you know, there's a magic in small business owners. They're the ones that really, you know, pursue their dreams against all odds, right? And and they do so because they love what they do. They love their communities, um, and they just. Uh, to me, they they bring the vibrancy to our communities, right? They make them the places where you want to go and share a meal and 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 share a special celebration with with your family. Um, and I think you know today more than ever, um, the more we can help them and 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 give them that support, give them that voice, and help rise that voice up so that people really understand that although the world is um, opening up with COVID and restrictions are being lifted, um, they're still struggling. They're not out of the woods yet. We did a recent survey, 3,700 small business owners, um, and 35% of them said that they're still at the risk of shutting down by the end of the summer. So, you know, as we're planning our vacations and, you know, kind of coming off summer and getting ready for fall, there's over a third of them that may have shut their doors. Yeah, Maureen, it's, it's really impressive the work you guys do, because especially small businesses, I mean, in certain communities, they are the lifeblood of the community. So to see them still thriving for decades and, um, you know, to see some of them close is obviously never a, a pleasant thing. One thing I'd love for you to do for a second, and like Dave, I, I, I've been a member of Alignable for a few years now, is for you to, to take a few few moments to tell tell our listeners what Alignable is and how they can get involved in it. But then yeah. sec secondarily, in, in terms of your career uh, as VP of Marketing, it's, it's obviously an, an amazing accomplishment to be part of the executive leadership team for such a big company. But I would also like for you to shed some light on, you know, your journey uh, and, and some of the lessons you learned on the way there uh, so we can get some value for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So Alignable is a referral network built exclusively for small business owners by small business owners. And small business owners come to Alignable to really share uh, best practices and advice. So a lot of uh, small business owners are solo entrepreneurs where they don't have the luxury of having colleagues they can turn to for advice. So they really come to the platform to share advice and best practices, but ultimately they share referrals and they work together um, to share new business. So perhaps I was a real estate agent and Dave, you were a mortgage broker. We had, I would have a customer that needed a, a mortgage. You would have a customer that needed uh, someone to help them find a house. So we would kind of share referrals that way. They also just help each other out with advice. We saw a lot of that during COVID where we had florists that we put together in a group and one florist didn't have flowers to support her orders, um, which wasn't, which for her, that means no money on the table. And 20 florists all of a sudden responded and helped out, gave her ideas where to find flowers. Some people said they grew flowers, they were gonna send them to her. So it's just a really great community where people feel at home to, to kind of share with others like them. Um, and you know, I would say personally for my career, I fell in love with small business owners during my time at Constant Contact. Um, it just really, you know, I worked with them very closely. Um, I also have a small business owner in my family. So I, I understand um, a lot of what they go through um, and just, you know, 
being able to tell their story, get their voice heard, um, get their brands out there is really important. Um, you know, a lot of how people get business is word of mouth and that's no matter what business that you're in. Um, and this idea of this campaign that we've been talking about, One Main Street is really a way to give a voice to small business owners um, and basically help shift the spending from the national behemoths really down to the local mom and pops um, so people can just invest back in their community. And speaking of investing back in the community, most people don't understand the impact of what you said earlier, which is about a third of the companies are at risk of going under. And they don't understand the ripple effect of that and the massive impact that it will have locally, specifically. You know, a lot of people are apathetic, as I mentioned earlier, because things are so big and they don't see, you know, how you know something will affect the entire world. But when it, you know, starts hitting Main Street, no pun intended, uh, when it starts hitting your Main Street and half of or a third of the businesses are closed. And then the people who own those buildings and the real estate agents and the list goes on and on and on. Can you share with us the numbers or any of the knowledge that you have of the tremendous impact that those amount of businesses closing would have on us? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all starting to hear lately um, about businesses, the favorite businesses that are closing Um I have a, a special place that my daughter would go to every day after school to share milkshakes with her girlfriends and talk about, you know, probably boys and how annoying her mother was. Yesterday, just yesterday, <laughs> I, I got three I, daughters, I, so yeah. I get it. <laughs> just yesterday, I read in, um, I read online that um, the business was closing because it couldn't get the, um, it could not get the employees to staff to staff the business. And so there's kind of three main reasons why the small business owners are, are, are starting to feel the fact that they're closing or they could be closing by the end of summer. One is that 57% um, of small business owners have earned half or less of their monthly pre-COVID revenue. Um, another 48% of those um, only have half or, or less of the customers they had pre-COVID. And then of the ones that have employees, 55% are struggling with those massive employee shortages, um, like I just talked about. Um, so there's there's staggering numbers, uh, I think, to support that. I think that there is some good news and hope on the horizon. So another recent survey we did showed that 64% of people were going to shift their spending and start spending more locally with, um, with the COVID restrictions lifting. And again, that's why we feel like one of the biggest ways to solve this problem is to spread this word about one Main Street. And basically what we're asking people to do is we're asking them to support their local businesses, share that experience by taking a selfie. We all take selfies every day anyway. So take one of that small business experience, share that on social channels, tag your friends and ask them to do the same um, so that they really start thinking about where to spend their next dollar. I think that's that's important. I think education is a key. And, and with the One Main Street campaign, it's, it sounds like you're doing just that, making the community aware uh, of what's going on. But what I what I what I've seen, and you know, just being a layperson in the space, is so many people don't realize the impact of small decisions they make every day. Going to their mom and pop coffee shop versus going to Dunkin' Donuts, or going to you know Joe's Hardware Store versus going going to Home Depot. Um, and what I've seen uh, is a lot of folks will do those things because they feel like it's just cheaper. Um, so what do you say to folks that, you know, will, will stop shop at big stores and big chains because it's cheaper? And what's the counter argument to the, the reasons why they should support the local businesses? So I think the counter argument is so it's definitely sometimes more difficult, right? You could call on the phone, you could go online, order something, it's to your door in a second, right? Sometimes it takes a little bit more time to get in your car, drive downtown. But think about why you moved to, to where you live, right? And, and what you looked for. You looked for the schools. You looked for the, the, you looked for the vibrant downtowns. Um, all of those things go away. You know, it takes away all of the character. It takes away the, the people that, that come to your town to spend money on vacations and, and to spend money on local businesses. And it takes away from the taxes in, in the towns and things like that. And, and really, you know, small business owners make up 90% of the economy. So you know, it's, it's bigger than it's bigger than than people think. And, um, you know, for us, this one Main Street is really a battle cry um, to really help everyone rise up and support small businesses. So we can see really how big small businesses can get. And when they band together, it can be a lot bigger than than, you know, the the, the national brands. And how is Alonable dealing with the labor shortage? Uh, I know there'll be a transition. Everybody waits till the last minute. And uh, 
when their subsidies run out, there'll be a big rush uh, to make money and people live month to month. So it'll be quite interesting what new issues we have uh, as the employment comes back. How's Alignable, you know, working with the HR issues that exist in the, in the labor shortage? Yeah. So as far as how are we helping small businesses yeah. do that? So on our platform, it's just a great uh, it's a great platform to be able to share jobs and, and and again share those things and share that advice. And then as part of these surveys that we've been doing with our with our members, we're then able to package that that uh, those results up and give it to Congress to help influence some of the decisions that they're making to help to help small business owners as well. Maureen, has there been any involvement or help on a local governmental level for for support for small businesses, and, and how can that? Uh, make them more viable or sustainable, i.e. in the form of, of tax breaks or other things in terms of promoting, just like what you said in the last answer, you know, the vibrancy of the downtown and the community. Uh, have you seen that at all? And, and if not, is there something that, you know, should be happening? I mean, I think we, we have started to see it. I think, you know, a lot of it, too, is getting the chambers involved, right? So that they're another great voice for small business, helping helping to rise that up. Um, and again, I think it is really just about the education and getting that out there. And that's what we're trying to do with a lot of this data that we have as well. That's amazing. Now, with Alignable, what's next? You know, obviously things will be transitioning uh, as we get into the summer and then out of the summer. Uh, we have the hashtag Main Street, um, one Main Street campaign. What's next for Alignable? So just, you know, I, I think looking as the small business owners uh, and their challenges change. It's just looking to continually be agile and help support those. We're also partnering with um, an institute called Be the Small SMB um, to bring monthly events to small business owners where we are helping with whatever kind of education and tools they need to, to be um, prosperous in this recovery. So um, that's going small biz aid is what it's called smallbizaid.org the website's going live i think monday um and it's just a set of monthly free events where they can come and find out you know all the tools they need to 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 understand the expectations of their new digital customer how to create websites just really tactical uh education to help them um but i also want to challenge both of you you know as this one main street campaign i know after work today i'm going to my local dry cleaner i'm going to my local tailor and then i'm going to my local favorite restaurant elm street oysters um i'm going to tag both of you in a post and i'm going to challenge you to do the same to shop local share that picture and then you know spread that news with your friends and family and have them do the same I absolutely will accept the challenge. And, and I'm thinking, you know, my mom is also a small business owner. She's been a solo practitioner attorney, uh, went out on her own uh, probably a year or two out of law school. And her rationale was always, you know, I can't work for any boss and I want to make my own schedule. Uh, and she's been incredibly successful over the years. But I see even with her, you know, blind spots in her business where she could be doing more. And I look at you know, some of the, you know, entrepreneurs in the community that do things in a very old school way that has worked for, you know, decades um, and, and getting them out of their, their their shell or their comfort zone is not always easy. What sort of training or programming does Alignable provide to help some of these, you know, older folks, uh, you know, with networking or realizing that, you know, their interests are aligned. Like the, the, the name is perfect in terms of the symbiotic relationship between the florist and the person that can bring the flowers. And then, you know, those sorts of things. Are there any training around those things or uh, what can they do to sort of improve uh, their acumen? Sure. I mean, there's, we have a ton of education just on how to network, how to hold events, you know, or, or when you think about the world pre-COVID, it's now a digital first world. And for a lot of small business owners, they don't have that. They are experienced in what their their passion and their love is, right? They're not experienced maybe in the marketing of their business or the networking of themselves. So we've got a lot of resources on Alignable. This idea of groups that we just started is a great way. There, there are groups that people can join on Alignable by either industry or affinity. So women-owned businesses, black-owned businesses, um, real estate agents, and really get in there and talk to other people just like them that have had struggles, that have had challenges. And you know, I would say one of the best things about the Alignable uh, member base is just their willingness to help others. Awesome. And hashtag one main street, alignable.com. Anywhere else or anything else we should add before we let you go, Maureen? No, just uh, just that keep shopping local and, and keep shining that light on the on the um, on small businesses because they deserve it. Absolutely, and when they say shop local, does that include the e-commerce side of things to shop small business? Absolutely, yes, it does. 
awesome. And I eat locally always. Forget, Excellent. Forget the, <laughs> as you can tell. Thank you so much. Thank you for <laughs> Thank waking you. up Great early. We appreciate you. Thanks, Marina. Okay, bye-bye. Awesome. Marine Plowman with Alignable.com. Great company. Dave and I have been using them, as he said, for years. There's so many great resources out there. Once again, I think people just don't either know or ask, and it's so important to bring people like Marine on here so that they have those resources and use those resources, more importantly, to help accelerate and grow their business. All right, David, I've got a few minutes here before our next uh, contestant on The Price is Right, and so I thought maybe... Uh, we get a little preface to Clubhouse today. We have Clubhouse at 6 a.m. I'm going to talk about how to deal with negativity. Uh, so I thought either one, you have a question for me, a little pre-coaching session, or just a comment on how you deal with negativity. Yeah, I'll take the opportunity to ask the question first, and I'll give my comment after because uh, I want to make sure we have enough time to get your answer out. But Dave, you know, I've been you know working with you. We've been business partners for some years now, and Obviously, you know, I've been a student of yours and a coaching client over the years. And one thing that's always been impressive to me is your ability to get back to center. And I think when we start talking about dealing with negativity, if I'm foreshadowing a little bit, I think a lot of what you're going to talk about is how you get back to center. But what I want you to share with us is, you know, when when it feels like getting back to center is, is just not possible, and, and I'm sure you felt that way and I felt that way, you know, what what strategies do you implement in, in those moments? Because it's not always easy. And sometimes you can just tell yourself, look, I know, you know, I got to stay focused, stay the course, I have to accomplish X. Um, but they're just things that are going on, sort of white noise all around you that you can't control. What, what, what advice do you have there? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because they are distinctive in their nature. There's one, the dealing with the conscious continuum, controlling the information that comes into you. Two, being a ferocious Buddha and identifying that and going back to center. And then three, the issue that you're talking about, you know, being able to have uh, the capability um, to allow things to process. And, you know, it's interesting because logic will not change the way you feel. And so even if I can teach people to be a ferocious Buddha to stop, drop and roll, sometimes you can sit there all day. If you're worrying with a trigger to the ego where the blood leaves your brain, right? If, if you are worrying, all you're doing is wishing for what you don't want. But you could sit there all day and say, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You and I both went to law school. And I promise you, there was a ton of times you told yourself, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, but meanwhile, the only way to counteract or to change the way that you feel like being worried is to take action. And the best action you can take is to do a good deed. I always tell people, if you're anxious, depressed, worried, angry, frustrated, uh, literally go outside, pick up trash, smile at somebody, do and serve others, and you will see how quickly it shifts the negativity into the truth. Uh, and that has been one of the key components that I have. I can see Scott Greenberg is here, and I uh, appreciate that question, David. We will be talking about how to deal with negativity, uh, both on takeaway of the day on Clubhouse right after this at 6 a.m. Pacific time, and then also at training today. I'll be doing a full training on how to deal with negativity of self and of others. Let's bring on uh, Scott Green Greenberg here. He is a speaker, consultant, writer. You know the norm here for Office Hours, scottgreenberg.com, and he has a brand new book, uh, the Wealthy Franchisee, Game Changing Steps to Become a Thriving Franchise Superstar. Uh, and uh, really looking forward to see and listening to Scott. I uh, started and was a, a franchisee myself uh, years and years ago when I left Samsung in the interior construction business. And the only thing that resonated with me in the wealthy franchisee was employees and overhead. Uh, you know, the two things you wish upon someone you don't like. <laughs> so I wanted to start off with, uh, you know, what are some of the things that people do to become wealthy franchisees? Uh, well, great question. And by the way, thank you for having me here this morning. Thanks um, for coming on and early. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So first of all, I, I when I was a franchisee, all the time I had friends or people who would say, hey, you know, what's it like being a franchisee? You know, what would it take? And almost no one who ever asked me that question actually pulled the trigger. And so I think anybody who has the courage to even do it in the first place is already way ahead of the average person. It takes a tremendous amount 
of courage, right? Um, so there's a certain amount of emotional intelligence that's there. For most franchisees, that stops as soon as they're in it, that the emotional intelligence goes away. Then they get caught up in busyness. And so, you know, it's, it's a big question. What does it take to become a wealthy franchisee? But what I find is on, on top of having great operations sticking to the system that a, a franchisor has proven, then it's about the human elements that you bring to it, which is your ability to keep a clear head, to keep your emotions and thoughts in check. It's your ability to stick to that system. Uh, and then it's your ability to use your business to improve the lives of everyone it touches, whether it's employees, whether it is other franchisees, certainly your customers and your community. Those are some broader things, but it involves taking time to reflect and to think and to focus on bigger things than the obvious, which is the making of a profit. So wealthy franchisees are really good at managing those human elements on top of the operational elements, and that's what gives them their edge. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. And, and I'm actually really, really excited to speak to you because I read about Junior Bridgman recently. Are you familiar with him? Uh -uh. Okay, this is a great opportunity to highlight him. And I think Dave will appreciate this as well. Junior Bridgman was an NBA role player, I believe back in the 70s. Junior Bridgman now has a net worth north of $600 million. And don't quote me on this, I believe he never earned more than $4 million while playing. Right, but he's one of the wealthiest retired players of all time. Why? Because during the offseason, while he was playing for the Denver Nuggets, he would work at Wendy's and learn the business and then eventually owned over 100 Wendy's restaurants and, you know, a bunch of other franchises because he put in the work. And this is someone that, you know, left his ego at the door. He's an NBA player. He's probably six foot ten. I don't know how tall he is, but he's standing there taking orders because he went to work in the business to learn, you know, the strengths and weaknesses and how he can improve it. And what I wanted to talk about is actually, and I've got a, a bunch of athletes that I mentor and coach and some of the things that, you know, we've talked about in terms of ways of creating, and it's not always passive income with, with being a franchisee because it is a lot of work, but, you know, other incomes besides your playing career is, is franchising, something that they look at and a lot of players in the locker room have done it. You know, you know, I have players that I work with that own, you know, 15 Dunkin' Donuts and different things. But a lot of folks have this misconception that because something is a franchise, you know, they're sort of locked in to the Wendy's model or the McDonald's model or whatever the case may be. And that is true to an extent, but not all fast food chains, not all restaurants are exactly the same. And there, there is an opportunity to impact the business to make yours more viable. And what I would like for you to talk about is those strategies, you know, within the confines. I know they're different for each business, but what advice do you have for folks getting into the space on how they can optimize the franchise that they're, they're working with? It's such a, a another great question you ask because in every franchise system I work with, and I work with a lot that bring me to speak and that I interview a whole bunch of franchisees beforehand to hear their thoughts, their concerns, know what their questions are in advance so I can customize the presentation. In every franchise brand, you find all these people who are really doing the exact same thing, running the same systems in, in very similar territories, but they get very different results. And it's because of you know this, question you're asked is it's what each one of them brings to it. So for example, you know, in, in Wendy's, Wendy's operationally, they might say, make sure you give a greeting to every customer who walks in. And that there might even be a standard greeting like, hello, welcome to Wendy's. Well, there's a lot of ways to say that. You know, at Edible Arrangements, we had a standard way of answering the phone the corporate office taught us. Well, if you called my Edible Arrangements, you'd get a very warm greeting from my employees. Thank you for calling Edible Arrangements in West Hollywood. How can I help you? Okay. And then you'd call others. They'd be like, Edible. <laughs> so, you know, the, that human element matters because, you know, two franchisees can market the business, but marketing isn't just about advertising. It's about patience and faith. And both franchisees can manage their employees, but there's the, the uh, franchisee who just directs their work and there's one who then really inspires and, and grows them. And customer service isn't just about facilitating transactions or you know selling hamburgers at Wendy's. It's also about building a connection and using that moment to elevate their emotions. That's not in the franchise agreement. It's not even the operations manual. It's a bit more philosophical. It's a bit more stylistic, but it is the difference between being a typical franchisee and becoming a wealthy franchisee. So it's really understanding what are the human elements of the business and making sure you put time and energy into those things to give you your edge. 
yeah, the human factor, especially when you're looking at franchises and franchisees and franchisors, you're trying to extract all the dummy tax out of it through systematic and scaling. But in the end, you really have to rely on what you teach, uh, and that's to think, to lead, and to serve. Uh, and through those three things, I thought maybe you could talk about how you help people develop a higher level of thinking, a different and effective way of leading, and of course, uh, a better way to serve. Sure. So if I'm on stage giving a presentation, then I'm I'm sharing ideas. And I might throw out a discussion question, but I'm sharing content, sharing ideas. If I'm coaching one-on-one, -on -one, which I often do for franchise business owners, it's a lot more of me asking powerful questions, sometimes leading questions, but very often it's it's helping them sort of facilitate the, prof the process of figuring out what the right thing to do is. But it involves a tremendous amount of self-reflection. Me helping franchisees understand that nine out of 10 questions can be answered. Nine out of 10 solutions can be found in the mirror by examining yourself first. And so part of that is being able to keep a clear head. So being under understand that running a franchise business is an emotional experience. You don't just run it, you feel it. So it's the ability to understand what are those thoughts and feelings. And before you take any action, clear your head of those feelings and get back to what I call your point of clarity. Like I never preach positivity because uh, I think that can lead to impulsive decisions. Faith is not going to bring more customers in. Optimism is not going to reduce your costs. So I don't, pre I don't preach positivity and I certainly don't preach negativity. I preach clarity. So being self-aware, getting back to your, at that point of clarity before taking action. And so that is a, a huge thing that I help people achieve. And then I point out, okay, so what are the tactical things that wealthy franchisees do? What is their approach to um, building a team? What is their approach to understanding how employees think and motivating them and how to coach them? And then I will share tactics for customer service. What does it really take to identify emotionally what your customers want? Small and it's nuanced, but it makes a really big impression. Um, understanding what those things are and have it, wrapping your whole business practice around those elements. So it's a lot of stuff of focusing beyond what's in the franchise operations manual and understanding what you as a franchisee and what you and your team can do to build a great culture that serves customers at a higher level. That's great. And and one thing I want to ask, and, and you may not have the same application application for these these types of franchises, but is there a difference in how you coach those who own franchises that maybe are not as uh, client facing or have less staff, i.e., you know, they, they were hot button, you know, a few years ago with some of my players with like red boxes or, or vending machines. How, how do you coach those folks? And is there a specific strategy you give them besides maybe like location, location, location in those situations? Because uh, what, what can they do to amplify their businesses, those that are just standalone uh, and, and have very minimal operation? Well, typically when franchisees come to me, they already have a set of issues. They already have some kind of problem. Now, what they think the problem is and what the problem actually is are often two very different things. So um, probably the most common reason why people come to me is they're struggling with their teams and they want help becoming better leaders. I had one franchisee come to me and say, uh, he didn't even want to work with me directly at first. He said, can you please work with my manager to get him to you know, fill in the blank? I spoke with the manager one time. He was resistant. He didn't want coaching. But as we got, so then I talked to this guy and then he said, well, maybe can you help me manage him? That's what began the coaching. But as we got into our conversations, I realized that the owner himself has all kinds of mental blockers, all kinds of beliefs that need to be challenged, all kinds of ways in which he needed coaching. It had nothing to do with the size or scale of his business. It was understanding what it is that he was bringing, which in some cases he was a liability to his business rather than being an asset. So it's less about the size or scale of the business. It's mostly what are the opportunities and what are the questions that the franchisee has? And then I help facilitate getting to the answers. And how much of what you teach is specific to franchisees? It seems to me that everything that you teach in the level of think, lead, and serve, all the things that you're discussing here of looking inwards and your unique philosophy of faith and positivity would be applicable to all business, all leaders, all managers. What are some of the specific differentiators between the franchisee and other people that you obviously are capable of coaching? Probably 80% of what I wrote in my book 
is applicable to all businesses. I happen to do a lot of work in this niche. And so, you know, they always say, you know, choose your lane. And so I applied to the franchise world because I have credibility and I know it very well. Easily 80% of the content is for all business. But honestly, I wrote that book as a, uh, it's a personal growth book disguised as a business book. So, you know, if you're kind of thinking broad, it's easy to connect the dots between, you know, how to run a franchise and how to live a more powerful life. Um, but I really do try to connect the dots specifically with the franchise business because that model does bring up very specific issues, even more specific than in business. Um, we all know what a business is, but what makes a franchise business unique is that you are in partnership with this central entity, a corporate office. And there are advantages to that. You know, they're, they're, they're getting your back. They're there teaching you things you don't know, but they're also limiting you that you don't have complete control over what's happening. You have to be held compliant. And there are other people around the country, around the world, running the same business. And what they do impacts your business. Um, you know, when I had my edible arrangements, we had a neighboring location that we didn't own at first. We eventually did, but at first we didn't. They were poor performers. And we would sometimes get calls saying, we used your location down the street. They are terrible. So we're giving you a shot. Well, for every person who called and said that, there's probably 20 who had a bad experience there and wrote off the whole brand. Yep. So you are having to work with the corporate office, do things your way. You don't have complete control and that you are connected to all these other people doing the same thing. Well, that brings up all kinds of social dynamics and all kinds of psychology that need to be managed. And so that's what makes it different than, you know, a mom and pop business or a company that you just completely own in the outright. There's a lot of dynamics there that one needs to navigate. It can be done. I think it's a great business model. I'd write opportunity. I would do it again. But you have to understand the human elements of that and, you know, what it takes to navigate that particular world. You know, listening to you reiterates and reaffirms one of the greatest lessons that I've learned is if you want to get somewhere, find someone that sits in the situation you want to be in and ask them for directions. And you have some great directions, you know, obviously as a speaker and writer, but also as a consultant, people can reach out to Scott Greenberg, scottgreenberg.com. Check out his new book, The Wealthy Franchisee, Game-Changing Steps to Becoming a Thriving Franchise Superstar, like himself, uh, as he was with Edible Arranger Arrangements, the best customer service, manager of the year, et cetera, et cetera. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. ScottGreenberg.com. We'll see you soon. Come back and visit. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great interview. We appreciate you. Thank Thanks, you. Scott. Awesome. That guy could bring it. He's a, he, I love the easy interviews, right? You just like oh throw, throw up a softball and he knocks it out of the park. We have the home run hitter herself coming on next. Julia Dexter, how are you? CEO and co-founder of iRead. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good morning. I'm awesome. Good. Thank you so much. Um, we want to talk about Dreams Great Escape from iRead and uh, helping, you know, an area that Dave and I are heavily involved with. I'm the Chief Chancellor of Junior Achievement University, teaching literacy to a little bit older kids, but also uh, in a company with Marshall Falk, one of my other business partners. Not quite as good as an athlete as David Marino, but close. <laughs> uh, but dealing with financial literacy and uh, helping platforms like yours. So I thought maybe you could just give us one, a little background on the issues that face, you know, these kids, what, seven to 18 years old and how important what you're doing is to the future of the world. Yeah. Well, when back in 2014, I have four kids, four little Me ones. Too. And uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. how about that? We share a, a few things. Brunch, eight. <laughs> That's right. Um, one of my kids really struggled with reading in grade four, and, and I was told he'd probably never catch up. And I had been an entrepreneur in technology and knew not, I probably set foot in school maybe once a year, you know, when, when you had to do that first meeting with the teacher at the start of the year. And I, I knew nothing about how to support his education and um, realized that the school wasn't going to do it on their own, that I had a big obligation to help as a parent. And realized there were so few tools out there to help. And frankly, the, the education tools that were out there were just so bad. <laughs> they were really boring for kids. And and so um, so I really kind of changed my life at that time. I, I was looking for a new thing. I had just sold a business and looking for a new challenge in life. Um, and so it was really to help my son first. Um, but as we started to dig into the problem, we realized that about 30% of kids in North America reach grade three without the foundational reading skills. So like the basics, you know, even letter sounds, letter names, phonemes, those types of things. By graduation, by high school, 
Um, kids are about half of our kids can't comprehend effect effectively and comprehension is a skill we don't talk about very much but that's everything right it's the ability to synthesize to predict to 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 do critical thinking which is you know a part of our life absolutely every day and so half of our kids are, are struggling with that and really will struggle to participate in the modern economy so I just got I became really really driven to be able to help my son Max but then all kids um, just really become strong at literacy and comprehension through games that they absolutely wanted to play. Something that was engaging, you know, I, I was an athlete too, you know, that's my background and I did it because I loved it. Um, I hated school and I never wanted to participate in school, but I wanted to be an athlete because it was fun. So that engagement piece was critical. Um, yeah, so that's what got me started. I'm glad you're talking about gamification because I, you know, I know Dave's seen it. I've seen it so much uh, with so many different companies uh, being applied, not not just to children, but but to adults uh, with different things. Um, I, I'd love to, to, to dive into uh, what is it about the gamification aspect uh, with children's learning that has shown uh, the increase in their ability to comprehend this information? Is it just the competition angle of it? I'm sure there's deeper things. I'm just curious to know. Yeah, yeah, positive failure is huge, right? So in, in sport, just returning back to sport, you, you learn from a really young age how to, how to fail or how to be, how to be beaten and, and get back up, pull yourself back up and keep going. And you, you learn it with, with, a, with, through a positive lens. And, and I think at school, we often really kind of, we don't challenge kids, we, we persecute them for not doing well. And, and that's the difference between being challenged and persecuted is, is like one of the key things we, ha we have to understand. And games can give that to kids. They can give them a safe environment where they can fail and they can get back up um, and really push themselves. It keeps them, in education, we call it the zone of proximal development. So that space where you're pushed just enough that you're not too frustrated, uh, but it's not so easy that you're bored. You know, you're right in that kind of that challenging place. And we all love to be there. We love to be there physically. We love to be there mentally. It's just, you know, you're getting a bit better. And and it's um, it's a great place to be. So games do that so well. Now, games for learning, that's a whole other level because you not only have to keep kids challenged in the game piece, but also in the learning piece. You have to understand where they are at every moment, which is which is a really big challenge. And learning engineering is new. It's in its kind of infancy in terms of trying to figure out how to adapt to learning for each individual. So, so that's the space where we're in. That's where we're innovating. And, and it's really exciting. It's such a it's such a new and and yeah, it's a place I'm super passionate about. Can I just make one comment really quick, Dave? Yeah, it brought me back to the conversation. Dave and I spoke at a panel at the NFL draft, the Cleveland Power of Sports Summit, and we were talking about the importance of youth sports. And one thing that came out from that, and we had you know former pro athletes on the panel, you know, director of the Boys and Girls Club, that I hadn't ever really synthesized in the way that I did after that weekend was sports teaches you how to deal with losses and how to learn from them. And I think what you just said epitomizes that so well because the education system right now, it's either you fail or you pass. And I think the gamification aspect helps these these young people in their mind develop, you know, the ability to, to learn and to lose, but then also, you know, keep going. So I just want to make that comment. Sorry, Dave. Yeah, no, I love it because it applies to what I was going to talk about. When I played football in college, my head coach, you know, and I was very emotional. So very high highs, <laughs> low lows, like literally even during a game. And yeah. I see that uh, personality trait in my son as well. And my head football coach would always say, just keep playing. And then I got into the business world and my business partner is a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I called him QB1 Kenobi. And <laughs> he, sh he showed me, he said, Dave, do you know you waste just as much energy when you're super high as when you're super low? Yeah. You waste, waste the energy. And, you know, we, we look at education in that way that kids are emotional. And the problem is, is that they hear one negative piece of feedback or they receive it in some way, like a bad grade or another ch child making fun of them. Uh, and it gets worse and worse and worse uh, until they want to quit. Right. The, the difference is it's one thing if you want to quit baseball because you can go ahead and start football, 
or you know esport or whatever you want to do it's another thing when you quit on education and you think just because you're not good at math <laughs> that you're not good at english you're not good at spanish you're not good at science you're not good at these are all sports and i know from uh, all the four children i have and from my you know five siblings and all the other people around me that you know some things come really easy i mean i wish <clears throat> i was as good at football as I was at math, right? I, I didn't I didn't miss one on my SAT, 800. Everyone thought, oh my God. Well, that was quantum in my nature. I just, from when I was young doing flashcards, it just, there was no challenge at all. I'm sure like Michael Jordan feels or, you know, LeBron feels when he's shooting a free throw, you know, there's no challenge. There's nothing against me here. People are amazed at this. Are you kidding me? Right. But, you know, put him in my calculus class and let, let's see how well we both do. Uh, naturally, in that quantum nature of education, it becomes difficult to control to have these kids just keep playing. Mm -hmm. And how do you get people in dreamscape to keep playing when they may not always be successful and there's so many variant uh, things to deal with, even within the gamification? Well, that's where good games really, really win, right? Good games understand what's gonna motivate kids. Um, there's always kind of meta layers to, to games where kids are trying to achieve over time and, and improve a score or collect assets or whatever they're doing. And then there's a social layer imposed over top of the meta layer. And that's where you get to show off what you've done. We all love to we all love to show off a little bit. Um, and so great games do that really, really effectively so that kids are motivated to to come back now. Now, games, they definitely have a dark side. And there's there's been a lot of that, you know, in the media over the last little while, just about the habit formation of games, you know, getting kids to to want to play and play. And Carnegie Mellon released a study that said kids will play 10,000 hours of video games by the time they graduate, which is the same time they'd spend in every class if they had perfect attendance by graduation. So you think about just that parallel track of learning that could be happening. So what I believe deeply and where I'm really... Um, mo motivated to win is to really to flip that habit formation to be good for good. So if we can use the habit formation to get them to practice the instruction that they need for some of these skills that are just important, like you just have to have them as a foundation to your learning, then I think we can do something really special here for all kids. Like there's an accessibility element to this, which is so important, right? There's no reason why every child can't have the same experience. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's such an important part of, of what we work on. Julia, thank you so much for being invested into the future. Um, because it's obviously, you know, and it's something that started in your own home, but it's obviously affecting so many kids around the United States and Canada. And I want to talk about the scale of the business. So mm -hmm. you're in ten thousand schools across, you know, the US and Canada now, which is amazing. And you know, I want to you know talk about how you got to ten thousand, but then also what are some of the challenges to go from ten thousand schools to where a hundred thousand schools or to every school in the world and, and how can you know we or our, our listeners help in terms of, of getting I read, you know, in front of more people? Yeah, well, we're growing at historic rates right now. We've we've surpassed three million users now. Um, right. We we got three million new users in the last uh, twenty four months, which is unheard of in education technology. Um, and it's because it's a product that works. It, teachers love it. Um, it's built by teachers. A curriculum. It, it aligns to the curriculum standards, but. But the game itself is truly a video game that kids absolutely love. And so the challenge with growth for us, well, you know, it's funny in business for years, I've been doing business since 20, 2003 in technology. And often I felt like I was pushing to the market, like, here's a great product, use it, love it. And for the first time with Dreamscape, I felt a pull, like the market was pulling this product and it felt like momentum that I wasn't even creating. And and, and it really is because we built something, you know, they talk about product market fit, you know, it was really for the first time something that actually had made that happen. And, and the growth is fantastic. For us, it's just about referral. We, we have teachers and parents who are telling teachers and parents that there's this awesome game. And, you know, parents are, are feeling guilty about screen time because we've all thrown up our hands a little bit, especially during COVID and said, oh, we just can't manage. Like, you're going to be using the device and I'm just going to have to be okay with it. But there are amazing options like Dreamscape to get kids to actually master their learning skills to be successful um, later on. So I, I think as parents, we have to wake up, though. We have to realize that it shouldn't be the Wild West when kids, kids are online. It really we have to be helping them choose programs that are going to be good for them 
Because I think we've gone through a bit of a phase where parents don't really, um, like we wouldn't bring our kids to McDonald's three times a day. I love McDonald's. I, like cheeseburgers are like my favorite. <laughs> but I wouldn't bring my kids to the McDonald's three meals a day because you know you, you need to you have to think about uh, about their health plans. And the same thing with technology. We can't just open the door to absolutely everything. We have to be a bit more directive, especially with our you know our younger kids and and set the right habits. Like my oldest now is heading into university and. And gosh, I'm so glad I set the right habits early on because you just can't do it later on, right? So we have to step up as parents and we have to be more engaged in, in what they're accessing online. Yeah, so much so. And uh, they don't call them Happy Meals for nothing. Let me just tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you eat a Happy Meal every day, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Uh, but once in a while, they definitely uh, take place in those habits that are formed. Now, uh, People can find you at playdreamskate.com. Uh, people, 200 global ed tech companies are competing for, what, a million dollars in August? That's um, right. Just give us a little background about the competition itself and where people can find you if it's just play, uh, playdreamscape.com or anywhere else. Yeah, playdreamscape.com or dreamscape edu. Those are our social channels. Um, yeah, we're going to be down in, in San Diego in August competing for a million dollars, which I love. I still love competing. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun. Um, and this industry is moving at such a rapid pace right now. So it's very exciting. But it's a free program, which I think is so important because I want to make sure every kid who needs access to this program has access to this program. And so you can get education from the best literacy experts from all over the world for free for your child at playdreamscape.com. And by the end of the year, we'll have added a few more games so kids will have even more choice in how they access this content. So yeah, I, I really encourage parents to, to download the game, really make time for it with their kids. And once they get started though, the game itself will keep them going. So yeah, I really appreciate you helping me share this. Absolutely, and we'll get together when you come to San Diego. We're yeah. here in Southern California, and Dave loves to come to visit as well. So uh, thank you so much for all the great work you're doing, Julia. You should be very proud of yourself as well. I look forward to meeting you in person. Please check out playdreamscape.com. Julia Dexter, the incredible co-founder of iRead, thank you for joining us on Office Hours. Thanks so much. Have a thank good one. You. Bye. Take care. Congrats. There you go. Compassionate, compassionate capitalist right there. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we are going to be on Clubhouse in 12 minutes. We're going to be doing takeaways of the day on Clubhouse. I'll li generally live a little bit of a theme of how to deal with negativity and get everyone's input on that just as I do yours. But we've had three extraordinary guests today. We're missing Mikey Mamula. You know, he has uh, his uh, mastermind, so he'll bring back some great knowledge. And, uh, you know, we just are getting a little bit ahead on the point system since he wasn't here. He couldn't earn any points today. Uh, most importantly, though, what's your takeaway for the day? Yeah, uh, my takeaway for the day is is to, to be true to yourself. And I think it applies to to our guests today. I and mean, we've seen them stay very, very true to the things that led to their success, but also to the question that you asked during our, our quick intermission in terms of how, how to deal with negativity. One, one thing that I use is, and I say to myself, if you, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for everything. And just thinking back early in my career as an attorney, uh, you know, as a litigator at that, uh, where a lot of my adversaries would try to pull me into the mud, but just thinking, okay, what kind of person am I? And that for me, you know, that's not part of my DNA or what has led to success, right? I get more with, you know, being likable, being uh, loyal, being humble, uh, being kind than, you know, getting in the mud and, and, and fighting dirty. So for all of our, you know, guests today and also for, you know, dealing with the negativity, I would just say, you know, stay true to yourself, be authentic, uh, and, and don't let people pull you out of uh, your value system. That's awesome. My takeaway, uh, by the way, if you stand for everything, you're guaranteed to fall. Uh, it's very tiring. <laughs> anyway, uh, my takeaway for the day is small businesses are so important to America. 90% of our uh, business in America is small business. It's incredible how important and how overlooked small business is. And if you look at these three small business people from Marine to Julia to Scott, you can see what the backbone, people like your mom, you, myself, uh, Mikey, Mamula, you know, 
small businesses run the world. And when a third of the small businesses are threatened, uh, we better raise our awareness Absolutely. and take action. Remember, action is the only way we'll change the way we feel. So I just want to make uh, you know my takeaway aligned with support small business, uh, hashtag OneMainStreet.com campaign, uh, support these people, ScottGreenberg.com, and, of course, PlayDreamsgate.com so that we can have even more small businesses in the future uh, with the millions of kids that need to know and learn how to comprehend in a fun way. So if you can comprehend, you can connect. If you can connect, you can recollect, remind, and remember how we are all tied not only to each other, but to the greatest source of light, love, and most importantly, those lessons that allow us to expand, grow, and compound who we are in a positive direction. Mr. Marino, I hope to see you on Clubhouse in about nine minutes. You're an incredible entrepreneur, an incredible friend, and uh, you know you will be teaching your child very soon as we're coming on. I know the pressure is mounting. It's amazing how much productivity, accessibility, and gratitude you have in your life. I have such gratitude for you. Thank you for always being here. Appreciate you. Thanks. We'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you. You got it, Thank brother. You. Take care. At David Marino, ESQ, the great David Marino. Thank you so much. All right. Clubhouse is in eight minutes. Come join me on the Breakfast of Champions, the number one show on Clubhouse. Breakfast of Champions. We're going to do takeaway of the day how to deal with negativity, and then I'm going to compound that interest at 11 a.m. Pacific, over 20 years of doing free trainings, over 50,000 people registered. We have a webinar, IG Live, and Clubhouse of our training, which is the takeaway of the day today, which is how to deal with negativity personally and negativity of others. Matt, I appreciate you so much waking up, making your bed, wearing your NFL draft hat, you were there uh, with David uh, Marino as well, and I, and the superstar, Miles, who graduated from fifth grade yesterday. Big shout out to my champion. Anyway, always remember, if you can't make Clubhouse today at 6 a.m., if you can't make the 11 a.m. training on how to deal with negativity, it's always available on the playbook everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. It's all there, the playbook. You can always reach out to me if you want the five daily practices or my book. Reach out to me, ebook, audio book. I'll sign a book, send it to you, pay for shipping. David at dmelter.com. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you soon. Thanks. <laughs>